You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, I'm partner and certified elder law attorney Barbara McGinnis. Welcome to another episode of Aging Starts Now. Joining me today is fellow partner and attorney Chris Johnson. Today, we'll be talking about wills. Specifically, what can a will do and what can a will not do for you? When people think about getting their affairs in order, most people think about a last will and testament. But we're here to tell you that a will probably isn't your most important document. So, Chris... Let's just start simple. What does a will do? Well, a will, I like to tell clients, is your admit one ticket into the probate process. And I'm still surprised, I probably shouldn't be at this point, how many people that startles. Uh, I hear again and again, well, I we did a will so we didn't have to go to probate, so we didn't have to go through the court system. And for those that are uncertain about what the probate process is, the probate process is where you take the original will and you petition the court to admit that will into probate. And then it's the administration of the deceased individual's affairs. We refer to them as the decedent uh, and the or the testator once they're accepted into probate. And we administer their affairs before the court. And that can be cumbersome and time consuming. Obviously, it can be expensive because you have to hire an attorney. Um, but there, there's an appearance at a court that's required. Um, there can be a bond that needs to be posted if it isn't specifically waived. Uh, there can be inventory and accounting reports to the court. And people are often startled to hear this and they think, well, I don't want any of that. And unfortunately, when they go to get a will set up, uh, it isn't explained to them everything that's entailed in that probate process because when most people hear it, they badly wish to avoid it. Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, it sounds to me like people that, and I hear that all the time too, people think that a will somehow circumvents probate when in fact it's designed to be probated, how in the world can that person have gone to an attorney, said I want a will, and then and an attorney not tell them what their options are? Uh, I just find that really interesting. It drives you nuts. It does drive you nuts, <laughs> especially when the first person sits in front of you and says, yes, one of my goals for my estate plan is to avoid probate. So, um, I tell clients a will is like a dear diary document. It is absolutely um, useless until it's admitted to the probate court in front of the judge and it's admitted as evidence that it is the intended wishes of the decedent. And then you have work to do and you have a lot of work to do and it can take several months, six to 12 months on average is what I tell people to expect. And of course, I've seen estates open for 10 or 20 years, um, which 
thankfully, is an outlier. What a will cannot do for you is, well, there are certain conditions upon inheritance that you can't put in a will, right? You know, like, I want my daughter to get so and such and such part of my estate, provided that she's graduated from college and she's at least 35 or whatever. You can't put all that stuff in a will, right? Yeah. Yeah. What else can a will not do for you? Well, I think the big one is that a will has no effect really until you pass away. And that's another thing that sometimes startles people. Um, They think, well, my, my will's executed, it's done. So isn't that a binding document? Well, it is, but it doesn't have any authority until it goes to the probate process. And so uh, your will is a meaningless document when it comes to end of life decisions, Uh, not to be confused with a living will. And I still hate that they termed it a living will because that people get those things conflated um, or your healthcare power of attorney, which is the delegation of your legal decision-making authority regarding healthcare decisions. So your will doesn't play anything in that. It also doesn't play for legal and financial decision-making. So if you become incapacitated, whether uh, be it by some accident or medical condition like a stroke or if you unfortunately suffer a a, a chronic debilitating disease like Alzheimer's or dementia, uh, at some point you may lose the ability, the mental faculties to manage your own affairs. And a a will doesn't do you any good and you're left in this void while you're still alive. But if you haven't legally delegated those authorities to other people via powers of attorney, your will is no no help there. And so I often tell people, your will helps you and, and, and does good for your estate after you pass away. But prior to you passing away, generally when most, you know, if you're still alive, well, that's the stuff I'm worried about most. Your will has zero effect. And that's where we're looking at powers of attorney and other documents to make sure you're taken care of during your lifetime. That's another thing that gets people to sit up and take notice. So what I hear you saying is, A will may be important, but it's not your most important document, and probably your powers of attorney are your most important documents, because that's what's going to really protect you if you become incapacitated or impaired and you need someone to act on your behalf. That's right. And and I, I will joke with clients, all of us have wills, whether we like to hear it or yeah. not, whether we think we have them or not. Because if you don't have one, the state legislature was nice enough to put one together for you. And it's called our state intestacy statutes. And it says, if you don't have a will, then this is what happens to your estate. And the motivation for a lot of people is they don't like what the statute says. And they, they, they're like, well, that's not what I want to have happen to my estate. And that requires you to act. But the bottom line is at least there's something there. With your powers of attorney, there really isn't anything there other than the conservatorship process. And, and that is a process that, boy, if you can avoid it, I, I would highly recommend. It's so easily avoidable because powers of attorney, you know, they are very easily done if you reach out to an attorney who who, uh, practices in this area. Powers of attorney are some of the easiest documents to get done with an attorney, and it amazes me how few people have them. What also amazes me is how messed up some of the powers of attorney are when we get them. I mean, things that you can do wrong seem to go wrong and be done 
wrongly on a regular basis, like yeah. co powers of attorney. Oh, Is that not a head thumper? It it drives you nuts, Barbara. And so one of the uh, one of the challenges with co powers of attorney, uh, I see older adults name their children in pairs or all three of them. One time I actually had a client who insisted all five of his daughters <laughs> be named co-power of attorney and no one was allowed the individual authority to act for dad. So you had to have five people do everything. Now oh that goodness. scenario is truly an outlier uh, because not only did he absolutely insist on that being done that way, even after I explained adamantly why it shouldn't be done that way, they made it work. Those five sisters actually worked together to take care of their parents and did not run into any sort of um, significant difficulty while dad was alive. Good for now, them. I know, but then we've got other family examples of family that are named co-powers of attorney, and they can't agree on what day of the week it is. So that one, <laughs> that one is probably going to go to con- to the conservatorship court as well because nothing happened, nothing can happen with That's this right. person because they can't agree on anything, and they. Um, they were not given powers to act individually and separately, but, but must act jointly in all things. Um, you know, in theory, that doesn't sound terrible. It's the practicality of having siblings can or cannot work together. Um, oh, yeah. and, you might, and you might be in mediation um, longer. Now, conservatorship is like a perpetual probate. It's like living probate. Every year you're filing reports. And so it can be very burdensome to your family. It can be very expensive. So if you are inclined to think you want to help your family avoid probate, then you need to think further and and try to help your family avoid conservatorship by uh, implementing powers of attorney documents. Um, attorneys are happy to draft them for you. Uh, just if, if you're if you're an adult, and that means anyone over the age of 18, they should have a power of attorney document. And almost any attorney can draft documents, such a document. I would caution, though, as you get older and you are probably perhaps on the elder care continuum and when you're Planning gets increasingly complex because there's resources, there's health care, there's health care financing, and perhaps even government benefits involved, that you, at that point, you probably need to actively search out a certified elder law attorney to help with those documents. Yeah. Uh, at least be in an elder care law firm um, that where they understand the complexities of that time of life. It's different. Right. And, and, but even when you're, even if you're just younger and you feel like, hey, you know, any attorney can draft these, ask questions because you want to understand the provisions in that power of attorney. And there'll be things that might catch you off guard. I, I see springing powers of attorney all the time. And for our listeners, a springing power of attorney is a power of attorney where the document is executed, but the powers and authority that are in the document 
are basically dormant until one or two doctors certify that the principal, the person who executed the power of attorney, no longer has their mental faculties. And then it springs forth, then those authorities that they, uh, you know, gave to their child or to their spouse, then they spring into action. And this is another kind of a common theme in what we're speaking about here is the devil's in the details. It sounds like a great plan and people will tell you all the time, well, that's that's the safe way to do it. Except you have to imagine yourself in that moment. If you're a spouse, especially with a spouse, because your lives are so intertwined, and your spouse is now incapacitated, which means they've had a terrible medical event or a terrible accident of some sort. And now you're having one of the worst days of your life as the person you most likely love most on this earth is incapacitated and you are trying to figure out all their health stuff, everything else. Meanwhile, you, your life is a business and it needs to keep being run. And now at your worst moment, while you're dealing with everything else, you're trying to get the doctors to sign a letter that says, basically, well, this person's incapacitated. Now I have full financial authority. And the doctors can be reluctant to do that, especially when the person who's asking seems to be frazzled or not having their best day. And now you have made the person who you want to act for you, you have made their life a whole lot more difficult in order to empower this authority. You don't want that uncertainty. And the the explanation for why to do a springing, I always laugh at. They say, well, you know, maybe maybe you can't fully trust that person. And so it's just in case of emergencies. Well, I always tell people, if you can't trust them while you have capacity and can keep an eye on them, how, how could you ever trust them when you don't have capacity and can't keep your eye on them? And so the client's most important decision and all our listeners' most important decisions when you execute a power of attorney is who is going to serve in that position. That's the most important decision you have out there is who is that person that you implicitly trust most on this earth with your legal and financial or with your healthcare decisions so that that person can have that authority from day one. Well, um, Chris, what else do you think people need to know? Um, uh, I think one thing is, and I we've kind of talked about it because you can hear us. We're we're leaning towards powers of attorney. I think because we see, we've seen the conservatorship process, you know, upfront and personal, and know how difficult it is, uh, and we know that things that affect you during your lifetime, I think mean more than things that affect you after your lifetime. But I don't want the audience to take away from this. Well, I just, I just need to get my powers of attorney, apparently, and my will doesn't matter. I think what matters most is that you have all of your planning documents done because each one covers a different area of your life, but they all tend to work in concert together. And so if you have your powers of attorney, but no trust or no will, you're still vulnerable. If you have a will and a trust, but no powers of attorney, you're still vulnerable. And the goal is that you have a holistic, comprehensive plan put in place, which utilizes all of these documents to make sure that you have no gaps in kind of the, the legal coverage of your life should something bad befall you. Oh, I think you said that very well. Um, but I, I think that's it for today, right? Yeah, I think that covers right. it. 
So that's it for today. Thank you for listening. Take Us McGinnis is a life care planning law firm helping families respond to the legal and financial challenges caused by chronic illness or disability of an elderly loved one. Join us next week for another episode of Aging Starts Now. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com? Document downloads, the Tagus McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness. 